Welcome to Advance Your Art. If you are interested in making money from your art, using your artistic background to your advantage when switching careers, or if you are just plain stuck, you've come to the right place. Now let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yurika Taldo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you're interested in learning how to build a company, make money from your art, or if you're just feeling stuck, you've come to the right place. Every week, I sit down with a creative entrepreneur to discuss the who, what, and why of their journey. If you like this episode, please remember to like, subscribe, and share this with a friend. Today, I'm sitting down with Patricia Ricketts, a lifelong writer who just published her debut novel, Speed of Dark. Patricia, hello. Welcome to the program. How are you today? I am fine, Yuri Cataldo, and I'm saying your full name because I like the way it sounds. Anyway, I'm very happy to be here, and this will be interesting and fun to talk with you. Yes, yes, exactly. Excellent. Um, So for my listeners who are less familiar with your work, how do you describe yourself and what you do? Well, I would say that I am a a writer. I write every day. I'm also a singer-songwriter, so I play guitar and sing and write every day. Um, And I am a former high school English teacher, so I still work with some students on their papers. So I I guess you could call that a freelance teacher. (laughs) But with COVID, everyone was a freelance teacher, I think. But anyway, um, so I I, I do wear a lot of hats. And um, but the one that's most recent is the one to get this novel published. And that was a big undertaking. Yeah, I bet. Um, Before we get into that, though, I want to backtrack a little bit. What initially got you interested in writing and the written word and well and storytelling? Well, uh, my family is uh, of origin is very good at telling stories around the dining room table. And uh, because there were six of us, five girls within uh, seven years, there was lots of competition mm. to have the best story or the funniest tale or whatever. And I took most of my life experiences and would turn them into little short stories. I mean, even in seventh grade, I, would, I was writing. I wrote kind of through high school and, and took creative writing courses in college at the University of Illinois in Champaign. And um, uh, so I, I kept nurturing that. And, uh, but then I became a teacher as my formal career. But I never let go of the writing strand. That was key to me, both on a journaling level on a daily basis, which, oh my God, I hope no one ever reads those. But anyway, um, I wrote my first novel, actually, when my kids were little during nap time. And it took me a year to get a full draft, just the storyline, the characters, and, and work through all of that. So that was quite an undertaking. But uh, that was pre-computers and mm-hmm. it got lost in the move. So this is my, I was able after retiring to go into this uh, full-fledged and actually the pandemic helped me because we were sequestered, we were isolated and I thought, hey, let's get it done. Mm-hmm. And I did. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yeah. So also with the, your your journey, I'm curious about your educational background and so did did you study 
writing or or you know creative arts in um in a university level or or what what was that process like for you I did I did I was actually an English lit major and so I took a lot of writing courses too my idea was that I was going to run off to New York and become an editor in one of the big five yeah me right me and every girl from Sarah Lawrence and Vassar at the time so uh, that didn't happen. So I went into teaching, but I became a, a language arts early on. And then I became a high school English teacher. And I was lucky enough to teach creative writing, advanced composition, and AP Lit, mm -hmm. even AP Lang too, which that's neither here nor there. But so what was happening through all of that was I was actually through teaching, honing my skills mm. with cadence and metaphor and uh, I guess the symmetry of parallel structure and uh, structure and that kind of thing without even realizing it. Yeah. So yes, I was schooled in all of that. Okay, in more traditional sense, sure. So then talk to me about your journey to this first novel. And so um, I know you've had a number of short stories published. I did. Were they, I guess, were they a precursor to the novel? Were they a different subject? Can I just talk to me a little bit about, you know, how you thought about short stories and then potentially how they led to this novel? Yeah. Okay. And that's it. That is an interesting question. I, and, and I would tell anybody to go ahead and do this. If you're interested in writing, I became a member of a writing workshop group mm -hmm. and we would meet uh, once a week for six weeks, take a break, come back another six weeks and whatever. And we, we got to hear each other's works. We got to critique each other's works. And it was a wonderful sounding board. I suppose it was like a think tank in a sense, but for the written word, how did something come off? And you know, when you, when you are like with a hoodie on looking at your own work, you, you hear kind of what you want to hear. So having that sounding board, these, and I trusted these people and they were wonderful. So I could hear, and we had these wonderful prompts every week. So it might be something like circles. It might be something like uh, a hunting knife. And man, that just sparked my creativity. So I write them. A couple of those did find their way into the novel, but they were not germane to it, I would say. They were more just like, you know, how you have vignettes in whether it's a screenplay or a play or a novel, there's these little sidebars and they became those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Interesting, okay. So when you were, these, your short stories too, um, how did you decide where to publish them? Because I, I see that you've been publishing a number of, of magazines. Um, did you submit them without knowing which magazines would, you know, would, would uh, accept them? Were you more targeted in, in your uh, uh, research? Uh, I, I, I almost interrupted, sorry. It's okay. I did a little bit of both. Okay. I did a little bit of both. There would be, because when you're in a, uh, the fraternity, if you will, of a writing group, you have, if there's 10 people in your group or seven people in your group, you've got seven other fingers out or into the network, so to speak. And so someone would say, oh, I know that they are interested in short stories right now. And so, yes, of course, I would send those those things out there. Um, I, I did some, you know, throw it over the transom kind of just try your luck. But I think with 
with magazines, especially the, the big ones, well, they're, nowadays everything's kind of a, a digitized thing, but um, I'm competing against Joyce Carol Oates and, um, well, Pat Conroy before he passed away, but you know what I'm saying? So I don't have a right. name. Okay. So they can't put that on the, so, but I just, I just kept doing it. And then as I was writing and really having fun with these short stories, it dawned on me that my best bet in terms of getting the message and the story out that I, I wanted people to read and enjoy was the novel as format. I, I thought about a screenplay. I think my, this novel would actually work there. Mm -hmm. And that may be a down the road avenue that I will pursue. But again, I know there's a lot of people who've died on the vine out there in LA uh, trying to get their screenplays even read. Mm -hmm. So um, I just decided that this seemed uh, the most reasonable avenue of pursuit. Okay. So let's talk about Speed of Dark then. Where do your ideas come from? Okay, smoke and mirrors here. Uh, some of my ideas, honestly, like, you know, in cartoons when either something goes poof and it appears or poof and it disappears, mm -hmm. like that. Some things did that. I can say that the the first image that actually came to me was of a woman who had lost everything, sitting at her kitchen table, thinking about, I don't know if I can go on. So that was a very powerful image. Later on in the book, and, and she she's a white female who's 50, there's a black male who's 55, and there's Lake Michigan, Michigami, who's 14,000 years old. Each of them is a narrator in this story and each has lost a lot. So um, Michigami, I mean, to, to take Lake Michigan and, and put that magical realism spin on it kind of came to me. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought it just made it more interesting to me. I, I've read and taught Toni Morrison who almost always uses magical realism in hers without it being cloying and going into the fantasy world. And I'm not a fantasy writer, but the idea of a, a kind of a, a magical spirit that exists in entities, kind of the Native American look at things mm -hmm. that I could buy into. So uh, one character just showed up when they were on a train and she's this little Italian crone, if you will. And she honestly it just kind of came and I just my fingers flew behind her as she was talking which was great fun by the way and then she kept coming back in and I would say okay you're in okay you're back it's okay mm -hmm. and I made it work so there was a lot of I guess you could say inspiration mm -hmm. but the truth of it is there's a lot of craft of honing it, it, it all takes place except for the epilogue, on March 21st in the year Y2K. Two reasons for that. March 21st is the vernal equinox. I wanted the struggle between night and day to be a motif, and I thought that's a cool day to use. Mm -hmm. And Y2K, I didn't have to deal with cell phones. <laughs> Seriously, I've talked to a lot of people, and they said, like, oh, yeah, God, because cell phones have intruded, well, we, we love them too, but they're there. 
And so if you write something tremendously contemporary, it's part of us. Right. So anyway, I don't know if I've completely answered your question, but um, that's where the inspirations come. Sure. Okay. That's good to know. And also, um, cell phones sometimes make an easy answer for like some of the mystery behind it of like easy communications. So before cell phones, you know, getting hold of somebody was really complicated. I mean, I, I'm, I'm um, in my forties and I grew up in a time when, um, and which wasn't that long ago where if I wanted to get a hold of somebody, they had to be in the other end of a physical phone and I had to time it right. And so that like element of like, oh my gosh, miscommunication can happen. Nowadays with a cell phone, I, you know, you can text them or text somebody around them, or it's like, it's, I know it's some of the mystique is a little bit broken without now creating a technological barrier of the reason why they don't have the cell phone with them. So um, that is true. That is yeah. True. Yeah. So I'm, so I'm curious on the mechanics of your, your novel, how do you keep tabs and track of your characters? Have you thought them through from the beginning and, and do you like white them of their own personal arc does that just come naturally through there I'm, i just talk more about how you you know keep tabs of everybody involved in this story and and don't lose some of the the elements of of their life and character and, and journeys sure um i am what i because i taught writing too i would see that there were people who had to have this very um uh, structured outline before they could pour their thoughts into it. Mm -hmm. And I think those are the people who probably did well in chemistry, not me. I like biology because it was all like guts and stuff. And um, so I'm a more a discovery drafter. So to your point about the characters, I did have them in mind, but they definitely evolved. Mm. And I realized that I was pulling on experiences and people that I have known and, and for the most part loved because I loved all three of these characters. And um, Michigami, Lake Michigan was probably the last to have this created character. Mm. I decided that he would have to be timeless and ageless. So I never used a contraction in his speech. So he sounds on at one hand um, kind of erudite. Mm -hmm. He uses an elevated language and he uses because he got them from the French trappers who came down uh, through Lake Michigan and, and the Illinois River and all of that. Uh, he has French expressions that he uses and he's snarky mm -hmm. and he distrusts as well he should humans because they have come pretty close to killing him and destroying him. So that evolved and I got more, what should I say, courageous mm -hmm. about, yeah, he'd be mad. I almost said pissed off, <laughs> mad. And, and, uh, and what's been done and it's happened in a very short span of time. Um, mostly who's a black man and I have, Peter and I have many friends in the blues community here in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And um, I have found those whom I know to be deeply spiritual, so giving, kindly, uh, musical. And, and, and so, because they're in the blues. 
And so Mosley has this real rich personality, but that evolved. Mm-hmm. Maryam was actually the hardest one because I'm kind of outgoing and I don't know if I'm brazen, but I'm willing to try just about anything. And she's fragile. So finding her voice and her essence took a little longer. And I, but I just, I was patient. Yeah, interesting. So I guess with, with how your characters evolve, how do you continue to keep them three-dimensional and not caricatures in one way or another? I, I felt like I would be an actor when I would be, because they each have their own chapters. They interact in okay. each other's chapters. But, but so when I would be Mosley, for example, I would be Mosley and, and take him on and speak like he would speak and um, the subject matters that he would want to, to deal with. And he's very forgiving and, and uh, keeps everybody sane and kind of loving actually, because there are a lot of things that happen that are really um, threatening and, and dangerous. Mm-hmm. But um, so I would just, I guess because I kept their chapters separate, even with the interactions, I was able to stay in that voice. Okay, sure. I'd like to go into a little bit about the, let's say the, the business side of your writing. Um, so first and foremost, how- And now do- you're gonna see me do a home alone <laughs> screen. <laughs> but that's, i'm happy to answer right. what i can. okay <laughs> sure sure i mean that's that's an interesting reaction to to that side of it um i well so i'm i'm curious from the beginning of just like fundamentally you you made the decision to write this novel how do you structure your day and how do you how did you deal with the concept of writer's block I do not believe in writer's block. Why? It's, it's as simple as that. I, I don't know if you're familiar with Anne Lamott who wrote Bird by Bird, which is a, a wonderful little book about, you know, and one of her um, chapters is titled Shitty First Drafts. And I trust the fact that it, it's kind of like making bread. You've got to start with a dough, mm-hmm. even if it's, not great though, you have to start. So I would just even tell my students when, you know, we'd be in a writing class, just keep writing. And if you get to the point, you think, I haven't a clue what I'm supposed to say, write something stupid, get in the, the mode of whatever it is you're writing and just keep going. Because what tends to happen, and this is for me, maybe not everybody, eventually you'll have a thread. Eventually, there'll be a word that will spark something. And it's like, okay, now I'm going. And you can get back in there. But if if you look at the white screen and say, I have writer's block, and you stay separate from your words, your language, you'll, I think, help to create this wall rather than, okay, I'm going to bust through. I'm just writing. Okay. I think that's the way to do it. Sure. And then, so in your own day, then, did you, did you set aside a specific time during the day to write? Did it just come spontaneously? 
what was your physical writing process like? Well, I, I, I'm not as rigid as some people I know, and I've read that say, um, F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote every day from six to nine, then he was done for the day, whatever. I'm, that's not me. I'm kind of like, I, you know, like people like walk up sideways to something. That's kind of how I do it. I know I'm going to do it. But I also know that there's a, not a drain because it's an energizing thing to do, but it's, it's hard work to write. And so I know like, okay, okay, I get my coffee, have some breakfast, go over. I might journal first. As a matter of fact, that's kind of my inroad into it. I start journaling. And if I'm deeply ensconced in writing a short story or the speed of dark in that case, I would write all kinds of things about what might be going on inside their heads, snippets of dialogue, this and that. And then I would be, it's like the sourdough starter. I, I'd have it. And then I could, you know, just get right into what I was going to write for that day. Okay. So I'm, I'm curious then about the process you thought through on getting your work out into the world. And so there are many ways to do that versus, you know, traditional and, and self-publishing and different models for there. So what did you do with this model? And, and specifically, why did you choose to publish it? agent or non the way you did. So talk through kind of that system, please. I will, I will. Um, it's it's quite an accomplish to, to accomplishment to get your novel finished. All right, so there you are. It's, and it's sitting in front of you, but it's not out in the world as you suggested. So I wanted to, because I figured like, I don't have time to receive a hundred rejection letters and agents to say sorry but i'm all filled up right now i just so i wanted to go directly okay. so i explored a couple of the vanity presses but they didn't seem um i don't think they always have an isbn number for example mm -hmm. and the quality of the actual physical book is not necessarily wonderful so i relied again back on this writing group that i've had and one of my colleagues she had published through She Writes Press Publishing Company, which is a hybrid. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not even exactly positive what that means. And yet it, you do put money up front in order to have them format, to design the cover, to put it together as a book with the you know, beautiful fonts. And they mm -hmm. design even the interior of the book. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to do that. It, time is of the essence for me. And um, I also wanted it off my plate. I didn't want to make it a full-time job yeah. to figure out how to do this. So I went with a hybrid and I, I have to say it's, it's daunting because there's so much to learn about the editing and the formatting and getting your, your design and then to get a publicist too, by the way. Even I have heard that the big five, unless you're probably someone who's selling, you know, like um, thousands of thousands of books, maybe even millions of books. But anyway, um, you pay for your own publicity, which I didn't know. Hmm. Well, I found out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you pay, you know, for the startup of, of getting the book formatted and then you get a release date and then 
you purchase some of your own books because I wanted to have, you know, the physical copies for myself too. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then they're released, which means it, uh, with this She Writes Press, and I'm assuming all hybrids, they go with something called Ingram Publishing Services. Mm-hmm. And in, this means that uh, libraries, indie bookstores, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, bookshop.org, all of these, um, these marketplaces, if you will, have access to be able to buy it. Mm-hmm. And, and better than that, if let's say if an indie bookstore gets 10 copies of your book, they can send it back if it's through this uh, Ingram publishing services, which is not the case with all, all services. So that's a big plus mm-hmm. to have that uh, in your thing. And, and the, um, the, the, you know, you can see there's the ISBN number. This is actually, I got it at the library, which I'm thrilled about. But so I had to get it out just so I could see what it looks like. But, you know, they they put the blurbs on the back and the front cover design is quite nice. Mm -hmm. And um, the the guts of it are beautiful. So I for me, this was the way to go. Um, An agent, I just thought that's like the step before the step. And. I don't know. I think I think the whole well, we know the whole world of publishing is is completely changed from what it used to be. Right. So maybe agents uh, are, don't exist much as as they did. Sure. Sure. I, I don't know if that's true, but <laughs> it maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's what what I, I like about this is you know you you knew what you wanted and then chose the method to to do that. Um. M- did you write the book in its entirety first before you approached the high publisher? Oh, you did. Okay. So I what did, did yes. so once a pub and did they help with the editing pro- or how did you approach editing? Let me start with that. One. Okay. I, I, what I did was I have um, many, what I'll say literate friends yeah. who are a- avid readers too. And so I had a handful of them say maybe four that I made a hard copy no, I guess it was still digital at that point. But but uh, for my husband, I, I made a hard copy for him because he likes to sit and be able to do this. And I said, find everything. And because, you know, you look at your own text and it looks right. You, you're right. seeing it correct. It, it's the same way when you're in college and you're writing your papers. They look great. And then you realize like, oh my God, they're there and there, you know, or something. And, and so apostrophes in or out of the S, commas, too much spacing, blah, blah, blah. So I had, a, and, and I also said to people, please help me if something doesn't jive. You know, like she said this about her experience and this, and then later on, she, it's like she didn't even know about it. Because that right. can happen too when you're working with 80,000 words plus, you know. So um, I did have initial readers, and then at She Writes Press, they also do have an editing process. And the editor went through and, and found some things, and, and that was good. Um, but mostly the editing, they would send me the, the completed pages, which is what they were called, I believe. And then I would go through, and they said, find anything. And I would, mm. I'd have to go page 37, para five paragraph five mm-hmm. line three 
write the incorrect thing and then below write how I wanted it to be. Mm, and that okay. went back and forth. I, I bet five times. Okay. So it was, it was arduous, but I wanted it to be, you know, good. Right. Of course. Um, you want to put out the best product you can. You got it. So from the moment you um, got involved with this publisher, how long did it take to the date it was actually published and available to the public? Way too long. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's in a nutshell, that's the answer. I think I contacted them uh, 2020 early fall, say September. And right, the, the good thing is they were very upfront about it. They said, you will be, they put us into cohorts of other people who would be publishing in that. And in the book world, there are three seasons, apparently. There's the fall, the spring, and the summer. The mm -hmm. winter is, even though they, they kind of encroach on each other, if you know what I'm saying. So there's three a year. So I was told in fall 2020 that I would be a member of the spring 2022 cohort. Well, my after my jaw dropped, my heart sank because I thought, oh, I've worked so hard and I finally have this done. Well, it did go faster than I thought because there was a lot of the editing and the cover design and each thing has to be approved. So it, and there's other books that are in the queue with you. Mm -hmm. But you, you know, when you first go into it, you think like, I'm the only one that matters. And, <laughs> and um, so I'm now more privy to that, that there will be this a lot longer time than you would like it to be. Okay. So I, I know you're working on your next novel and, and what I'm curious about is, will you follow a similar process for this novel or, or are you trying something different? That is a good question. Um, I, I am of two minds. And one of the minds is to contact She Writes Press, mm -hmm. say at the end of this summer, saying I will have this next novel finished by um, a year hence, say, and to get into the queue so that it won't be so dragged out. And the other is to start exploring some other avenues. But I have to say the learning curve on this whole publishing industry is really rather steep. Mm -hmm. So to think that, to think that well, I already know this. I know what the ropes are. I know how to do this. I will more likely than not go into the same house. The question for me will be, do I let them know I'm going to be ready? Mm -hmm. And so that's the question. But in the meantime, so I'm trying to be this writer, which is this creative side of my brain, but I'm still marketing this book, if you will. You know, I've got interviews as this one with you, Yuri. And um, I have book signings and I and book launches and other interviews and and um, it, you know and then you post things on your your Facebook and Instagram. I've stayed to two. I have heard in terms of advice that it's not smart to go on every single platform 
because it becomes exhausting, just mm -hmm. that alone. Better to pick the ones you're comfortable with that you know how to do everything with and post whatever and uh, and stick with those. So that's where I am. So I'm, I'm kind of, I'll be in a transitional mode for a little bit, both wearing both hats. And then I'm going to let this child run free in the playground and I'm going to devote time to the gestation of this next one. Mm -hmm. On your, so your marketing side of it and, and booking these, are you, did you hire a service to help you with all of it or is it something you're doing yourself or how does that process like? I did hire a publicity firm, Smith okay. Publicity. Um, they're out of, it, it's near Princeton, New Jersey, but it's definitely East Coast. And um, I was happy uh, with the results with them. You pay just like with the, um, the She Writes Press, the hybrid publication. But it, I think I, I could say it really launched me. Now I did my own book launch at this wonderful club and had about a hundred people come and it was a mm -hmm. wonderful event. Mm -hmm. And that was great fun to do something creative that way with the book. Um, uh, but I think going with a publicist is probably, if, I mean, cause it's gonna cost you. Yeah. But to do that, if you, I don't know if people would take out a loan or ask their parents, can you, you know, help fund me with this? And then as I start realizing uh, the gains, I can pay you back. But I think it's a smart thing to do. Okay. So you brought up the money part, which is interesting. And um, I don't know how comfortable you are in talking about those, but did you, going into this, did you kind of look at and create a budget for potentially how much it's going to cost up front and then how many books you need to sell long-term to cover the cost. How, how did you think about the, the money part about this as, as comfortable or as, as much as you feel comfortable talking about? I am laughing because I did none of the above. Um, I just kind of took things as they came. Now I okay. wish I was more um, actuarial or, um, <laughs> of a financial mind, but, you know, I loved algebra and anything past that, forget it. So uh, it's, it's not the way I think. I guess I'm not terribly logical linear. I'm more spatial, imagistic or whatever. And um, I'm fortunate enough that it didn't break the bank. And I also have learned this, and this would be another piece of advice for someone going into publishing their first novel. Everything I have read says you probably are not going to recover the money that you spent to both have it published and to get it launched, mm -hmm. to, to get the marketing thing going. And uh, that's okay with me. I, I okay. felt that the book that I have written really has very strong messages about healing from grief, about the ecology and how we need to be much more aware of that and about racial issues are, are really, you know, of course, very serious. That I thought, if this is my gift to anyone who reads it, I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't wanna be like taken to the cleaners, but I also knew that if it cost me, that was going to be okay. Okay, excellent. So with everything that you have done and experienced so far, what would you say has been the best advice that you ever received? Well, that came from my mother. 
And it applies to a lot of things. And she wouldn't like look at us and, and shake the finger, kind of give the advice. Mm-hmm. She would just, after having, whether it was something joyous or whether it was something that was uh, sad, she would say, on to the next adventure. And I have folded that into me. And now, truthfully, sometimes if terrible things are happening, I'm like, ah, I tear my hair out like anybody else would. But I, I kind of default to that. On to the next adventure because things change. Yeah, well, wonderful. Well, Patricia, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I, I really appreciate it. If the listeners would like to buy your book, or follow you online and see what else you're up to, where are the best places they can go to do all of that? Well, um, the of course, I always like to push indie bookstores. So that would be my first choice. But mm-hmm. it is also on uh, Goodreads, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. And there are wonderful reviews of it that are there. Also, they could go to my, I have an author website, and it is patriciajricketts.com. And without referring to marijuana, I have to say, don't forget the J. <laughs> so, so that's my website. And in there, there are some um, hot links to, um, I guess, Amazon and bookshop.org at this okay. point, maybe Barnes & Noble, I'm not sure. So they can get there directly, but they can also go to those sites. Okay, wonderful. Or, or the store. Oh, the store. Okay, great. Well, I will. So I will put those links in the show notes so people can click right through. Um, But thank you very much. I I recommend listeners checking out your new book, Speed of Dark. Patricia, thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. You are darling. And I want to say Yuri Cataldo one more time because it's a great name. (laughs) Thank you, Yuri Cataldo. (laughs) Thank you so much, Patricia. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you like this episode, please remember to give us a five-star rating, like, and share with a friend. Our theme music is written and mixed by Chicago-based composer Ryan Black of Blackbones Collaborative. To listen to the full catalog of our episodes, go to advanceyourart.com. To see what I'm working on or book a time with me or buy a copy of my book, Be Left Behind, go to yuricataldo.com. Thank you so much and have a great day.